Our God is a God who saves. When we're drowning in our fears, anxieties, our tears, he rescues us, lifts us up from the waves, beauty for ashes in a beautiful exchange. This is our God who loves us faithfully, freely. His love transforms and changes, brings us hope and healing. A God who loves more than words could ever say. He knows our deepest thoughts yet loves us anyway. Our God is strong, victorious. He's the creator of the universe. He is glorious. Our friend, comforter, companion and guide crying out to you now, his arms open wide. This is our God. Thank you so much. Let's put our hands together, everyone joining us online. So I've got a question for you. If your life was a bit like a balloon, which of these balloons most describes where you're at right now? So let me start with this one. This is, as you can see, an almost completely deflated balloon. Ever feel a bit like that? Like the air's gone out? You know, I can feel somewhat deflated when Man City lose, which right now is a very rare experience. So I'm okay on that one. And I can also feel deflated when I hit a bad goal shot, which sadly is still way too frequent right now. But more seriously, I can feel deflated. I expect you can too. And it feels like just maybe the pressure of life or life circumstances, and it feels like the air can begin to be squeezed out. In certain scenarios, maybe <clears throat> sudden bad news or some kind of setback almost can feel like someone has pricked the balloon of my life. And I have to really battle against a sense of despondency and discouragement. Anyone else? Or is that just me? Okay. So maybe you're a bit like that. What about then these other balloons? First one is this balloon. Looks like that one. But you notice its natural tendency is downwards. Why? Because it's filled with natural breath. I'm reliably informed that one of the team expended a lot of effort to get this balloon up. Why don't we give them a round of applause? <clears throat> but it doesn't matter what you do with this balloon. It doesn't matter how much you sort of artificially hold it up. It will naturally always go down. This balloon represents us, as it were, in our natural strength, where we try and put us at the centre. That's what I did before I was a Christian. I mean, I wasn't, much of the time I wasn't like this because life was fine. But inwardly, there wasn't a sense of what I call buoyancy. There was a sense of emptiness. There was a sense of lack of purpose. And it was really hard, as it were, to maintain a sense of, uh, of being filled and being full of life. Why? Because I was reliant on my natural energy and on my strength. And do you know it's possible to live that way as a Christian, by the way? Almost to live as if God isn't involved and the Spirit of God isn't involved. We just carry on trying to be in charge of our own lives and we wonder why we just feel a bit flat. And then there's this third balloon, which the reason it's different to this balloon is because it's filled with helium. And so it doesn't matter what you do with this balloon, you can try and knock it down, life circumstances and pressures, it'll always go up because it's got a buoyancy. It's got a source of energy that keeps, as it were, enabling it to be lifted up no matter what you do to it or no matter what happens. This is a beautiful picture of the Christian life filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what's going on in our lives, pressures or circumstances, there's always a supernatural buoyancy. 
And that's what I want to look at today based on an amazing text from the book of Isaiah. Now last week, have you enjoyed Ellie Mumford? Isn't she great? <clears throat> Speaking to us on Isaiah 6. And she made a strong claim. She said, I have got the best text in the whole of Isaiah. Well, Isaiah 6 is amazing. I mean, next week we're going to look in part at Isaiah 53. I mean, how can you top Isaiah 53? And I don't want to get into any heresy here, but I think Isaiah 54 might just, Isaiah 40 might just edge it. Okay, uh, in fact, it's all the Word of God. It's all amazing. But there is something incredible about Isaiah 40. It's a very significant chapter because it's like, represents almost like the hinge chapter on which the whole book turns. <clears throat> so, um, if you've ever read Isaiah 1 to 39, it's got little kind of rays of sunlight and encouragement going through. I mean, Isaiah 35, wow, what a stunning uh, chapter of promises. But the overall tone of Isaiah 1 to 39 is essentially one of challenge and in many cases one of rebuke to the people of God and to the nations. Now, if you want to know a bit more backdrop about how um, Isaiah is put together, a bit of the context, we put together some podcasts that we're going to be releasing soon that will give you a little bit more of the backdrop to the story. But in essence, uh, commentators are agreed there's a shift between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40 because out of 39 chapters, primarily of challenge, we now come to a different tone, if you like. The tone is one of encouragement, of comfort, and of strength. And it's absolutely beautiful. And what um, Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, does is he basically proclaims a message of good news. Some people think it's a prophecy ahead to the exiles who are in Babylon. But whatever the context, it's a universal message to us as the people of God. If we are feeling a bit down or downcast or weary or deflated or like we're in some kind of spiritual exile, there's a message of hope, there's a message of good news that our God hasn't changed, he hasn't forgotten us, he's still loving enough and he's still powerful enough to deliver us. That is the message that we're going to be looking at today. You may remember back at the beginning of the year, um, I did a message basically looking at the love and the greatness of God. And I used a picture of almost like two lenses and how if we're to know what our God is like, that's our series, This Is Our God, it's important that we don't just um, end up with one aspect of who God is. So we need to get a revelation of the love of God and the goodness of God, but also the, <clears throat> the greatness and the power of our God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Isaiah 40, essentially verses 1 to verse 9 and verse 11, the first part is primarily fo focused on the mercy of God. Say mercy. <clears throat> and then the second half... Uh, and the, the, the majority of it then turns to a revelation of the might of God. So hence, title of this message is, Our God is merciful and he is mighty. Can we say that? Merciful and mighty. He's merciful enough, he cares enough, he loves enough that his heart is turned towards us. He's mighty enough, he's powerful enough, he's strong enough to do something about it and to intervene and to change our lives. Our God is both merciful and he is mighty. Why don't we just give him praise for who he is at the start of this message. So firstly, though, I want to home in on the first part of this uh, amazing chapter, which is our God is a merciful God who comforts us, 
who comforts us. There's something wonderful about the mercy of God. Lots we could say about that. The Old Testament word uh, that is often translated um, that mercy can be also translated loving kindness. It's the Hebrew concept of hesed, or, um, which is the idea that here's a God who so loves us, is so uh, kind towards us and compassionately turned towards us that he is faithful to his covenant. And even if we uh, astray, he is committed. When we are not faithful, he is faithful because faithfulness is his very nature. Amen. And so there's this sense of tenderness, compassion, and faithfulness. And this comes out in the very first words of Isaiah 40. You may be familiar with these incredible words. After lots of challenge, listen to what the Spirit says. Comfort, comfort my people. Notice the change of tone. It's a message of encouragement. It's a message of comfort. Now when I uh, think of the word comfort, I don't know what you think of. Maybe think of comfort food. I don't know what comfort food is for you. A McDonald's or a tub of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Well, I don't know. What, what, what represents comfort? When I think of the word comfort, what immediately springs to mind is our grandson, Toby. Had to get him in somewhere. So here's the latest picture from yesterday. He's off on holiday, having the time of his life. Uh, but he is a great, great um, character. He's full of fun and you know, life full of adventure, always busy. And yet sometimes, because he's only just over 18 months, he gets tired, he gets discouraged, occasionally a bit annoyed. And then at the end of the day, from running, running, running around all the day, he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's gone. And he needs comfort. He needs to be cuddled. He needs to be hugged. He needs to be affirmed, either by, first by his mum or his dad, sometimes by his nana, Karen, and occasionally he likes a good hug from his pops. That's me. I love giving. Now, why, why do we do that? Because we love him, because our hearts are compassionate towards him. We know he's only 18 months. He hasn't got his act all together. How many of you could identify with Toby? <laughs> he needs someone other than himself to bring a sense of Comfort, And that is what God is like. And that's the beautiful picture we see here of a God full of compassion, full of tenderness, full of kindness. I use those, all those adjectives come out here today. And then he goes on in that first part of chapter 40, giving, if you like, a number of encouragements to comfort us. Now, how does God comfort us? Well, one, he does it by his presence, but he also does it through his promises, how many know that when you're struggling, and this is what I find, one of the best ways that I can, as it were, get spiritual helium back into my system is I go to the Word of God and I remind myself about the promises of God. In fact, I've got certain declarations that sometimes I say over myself about um, God's love for me and who I am in Christ. And even as I just say these things, it reminds me of the eternal truth about the nature of God and who I am in him. I'd encourage you to do the same. So what I want to do is I want to go very quickly through these few verses, encourage you to read the whole chapter sometime before you go bed to bed tonight. And, and I'm personalizing these promises as if they're to me, but I'd encourage you to do the same for you. So first thing that um, comes through this passage that I like to remind myself when I'm feeling a bit deflated or when I'm tempted to do this is this is the first promise. It's foundational. No matter what's going on in my life, I'm assured of this. God still loves me. Amen. 
He is a faithful God. It says here, comfort, comfort. Notice the language. My people says your God. Now, if it was a word to the um, Israelites who were in exile, certainly they were in tough times. How many know it's good to be reminded, no matter what your circumstances say, you are still the people of God. You are still his people, and he is still your God. And even as I remind myself of that, it's like, yeah, if I'm feeling a bit deflated, I can feel, as it were, spiritual helium begin to, um, begin to comfort me on the inside. Aren't you glad about that? I love to remind myself sometimes, Dave, you are the beloved of God. Nothing will separate you from his love. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter how difficult or painful this situation looks. God still loves you. Declare that over yourself. That's the first promise. Second promise is this from this scripture. Is God has completely forgiven me. God has completely forgiven me. Um, First um, Isaiah chapter 1. We saw that in the first part of our series. And there's a little phrase here where God comes to comfort his people And if you like, his first message is that your sin, our sin, has been paid for. How many know that would have been good news? To the people of God who've been away, they've been disobeying him. They've been in all kinds of idolatry. Now, if you read the the passage in Isaiah 40, at first glance, it looks like maybe it was their suffering that somehow atoned for their sin. But actually, if we look at the whole of Isaiah, including next week to one of the best chapters... Isaiah 53, we'll see that we cannot pay the price because our sin is so awful. The only thing that can pay the price for our sin is the blood of the suffering servant who is Jesus. He alone could bear the weight of our sin and our guilt and our shame. If you're around for our Easter services, we talked about that, didn't we? We can't bear, as it were, this weight. We have to give the, uh, over um, the weight of our sin and our guilt and shame and receive the forgiveness of our God. And I love the fact that when we are forgiven, we're not just, as it were, that's it, you've been led off. No, we are clothed with the very righteousness of God. I love to remind myself, no matter what's going on in my life, I am righteous because of Jesus Christ. That's the second promise. Third promise is this. God will reveal himself to me. You see, when you're in a tough spot, and the Israelites, you know, when you're um, away from God, where maybe you're in exile, maybe you feel like things are not going right for you, there is a promise that God is going to come. He has not... Um, lost his power, he's not lost his mercy, he is going to come, he's going to break through into your life once again. I've been a Christian now for over 40 years and I I can honestly say time and time again, when we've been in a tough spot, God has come through again and again and again. Didn't always necessarily work out the way we want, but God has broken in time and time again. And so the passage here talks about the promise to the people that your God's going to come, he's going to come and help you. Talks about a highway for our God. Talks about valleys being lifted up, mountains being brought low. Talks about a way in the wilderness. Anyone sound, sound familiar? New Testament reference to John the Baptist pointing the way to the ultimate coming of God or the ultimate coming of the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And so what does that, how does that leave us? Well, God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, first coming, He is going to fully reveal himself to us 
second coming, but in the in-between, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God can come and break into our lives with miracles and healing and provision and restoration in the here and now. Amen? And I like to encourage myself. God will reveal himself to me. It's like another great uh, breath. I better not inhale this, but inhale spiritual healing of encouragement and comfort. Amen. And then third, fourthly, God will tenderly care for me. I love this picture here of the Lord as a shepherd. This is our merciful God. This is our tender God. It says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. In other words, those who are most vulnerable. Do you know God is a God who looks out for the vulnerable? Amen. Sometimes I sense the presence of God greatest in my life. In fact, very often when I'm at my most vulnerable and my most in need, there's a sense of the comfort and the closeness of our God. And if you feel that right now, you've come to the right place. You're in the, you're in the arms of a wonderful shepherd. He wants to pick you up in his arms and bring you close to his presence. Amen. He's a God who tenderly cares for you. And in case that the Israelites or we today in any doubt about whether this is all true, there's this amazing promise in verse um, 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, talking there about people who are going to fall away. But there's one thing that endures forever. It's the word of our God endures forever. One thing that is true is the promises of God will prevail. Amen. He loves us. He forgives us. He will reveal himself to us. And he will tenderly care for us. Let's thank God for his incredible faithfulness to us, no matter what is going on in our lives. And that, that really does cause me... And I trust it will cause you to, to feel like almost like spiritual breath coming into your, um, into your spirit as you know that there is a merciful God who comforts you. But secondly, and the rest of the passage hinges, turns now to the second revelation, if you like. He is not only a merciful God who comforts us, he is a mighty God. Say mighty God. He is a mighty God who strengthens us. He comes to strengthen us. Many years ago, we went on a family holiday to Wales and we decided to climb up Snowdon. All was well, other than Annabelle, our youngest daughter. I think she was like a young teenager at this time. And, you know, as is their wont, she insisted on wearing these silly, flimsy little trainers that were totally inappropriate for mountain climbing. Anyway, so we get to the top, that's fine. But by the time she's got to the top, I can't remember what she'd done, but she'd injured herself. And so I have a vivid memory from the top of Snowdon, miles down. You know, sometimes it's harder to go down than it is to come up. She is literally hobbling along next to faithful mum, almost like leaning on her all the way. Not Karen wasn't quite carrying her, but was literally, as it were, taking her weight as they, as they kind of went down the mountain like this. The only slightly embarrassing thing about that story is I can't remember where I was. <laughs> My only conclusion is that I must have been looking after our other daughter and I must have been map reading, so I didn't have... Anyway, we're moving on rather quickly. The point I want to make is just as Karen's emotional and physical presence was enough, as it were, to carry Annabelle down the mountain, so we have one who is greater and mightier and more compassionate than even the best of mums or the best of dads. He is our mighty God. And Isaiah says, wants to encourage the people of God. Yes, he's, he loves you. He's merciful. He wants to help you. But he's also mighty. So the sovereign Lord comes with 
power and he rules with mighty armies. He's not just there, as it were, keeping his power to himself. No, he's coming in with power to strengthen and break through and transform the situation that his people are in. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he just amazing? And then, again, I'd so strongly encourage you, I haven't got time to unpack these incredible verses. Only frustration with a passage like this. It's so good, we could be here for hours. But I've only got a few minutes. So I'm I'm just going to hit the headlines. The first of this about our mighty God. He's, He's a mighty creator. Beautiful, beautiful language about the immensity and the wisdom of our God. Just a couple of pictures here. It's a picture of an all-knowing, all-powerful God who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Isaiah's trying to paint a picture of just how big our God is. Or he's weighed the mountains on the scales. Only he literally got modern-day scales. But this sense of our God is so all-knowing, so all-powerful. He's way bigger than his creation. Amen? He's a mighty creator. Secondly, he's a mighty king. This week, Charles is going to be crowned as king of this nation. And then in some time in the future, he'll pass that kingship or that crown onto the next generation. But this passage is a celebration. There is one who is the king of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's never going to pass on his throne. Forever and eternity, he's always been the king and he always will be. This is our God. He is a God who sits enthroned, this lovely language, above the circle of the earth. He is literally the king over the whole earth, ruling in the heavens. He is the one who brings princes to naught and reduces the world, rulers of this world to nothing. He is sovereign over the, ultimately over the affairs of nation. Sin gets in, human flesh gets in, the devil tries to get in, but ultimately our God is the Lord of all history. He is in ultimately in charge, amen. As Ellie said last week, we can then trust in the absolute sovereignty of God. So we have God, is, he's a mighty creator. Isaiah's going somewhere, by the way, so am I. He's the mighty king. He's the mighty sustainer of all things. In particular, I love this picture. He says, to the, into, possibly into a Babylonian culture, if that's with a context where they, very often they believe that the heavenly um, um, entities were themselves some kind of gods. Uh, Isaiah runs right through that with a Horton, <laughs> Horton cast and said, no, there is only one God. He created all the stars. It says, he brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I love this reference to the stars. You know, all kinds of different um, calculations. You take the Milky Way and then you add up the number of galaxies. I read recently a couple of, uh, a couple of um, reports. Apparently they estimate, I don't know how they do this, there is 200 billion trillion stars. You say, how, how big is that? I don't know. It sounds massive to me. That's a lot of stars. And the picture here is, and the really is, is if God can keep track of 200 billion stars, if he knows them all by name, if he created them all and he's sustaining them all, can't he take care of you and keep watch over you, people of God? That's what he's saying here. And so let's just pause a minute. If there is a God so wise, so powerful, so sovereign... Verse 27, why then do you complain, Jacob? 
Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. All of this is almost building up to this point where he's being saying, our God is merciful, our God is mighty. And he's trying to take this discouraged, despondent, deflated people or a people who are just trying to do things their way and worship idols. He's saying, don't think somehow God's forgotten you. Don't think somehow your way has been forgotten or disregarded by God. And it's easy, isn't it? When crisis comes, think, where are you, God? And Isaiah is saying, God is still on his throne. God still loves you. God still has power. God's still going to come through for you in this life and for eternity. Don't give up hope. Don't turn to the idols of Babylon. Turn to our merciful and mighty God. And then as if to just remind them again what he's already told them in, in verse 28, and he says this, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord's the everlasting God. I love this sense that there's a God who knows the end from the beginning. Sometimes, does anyone get impatient when things don't happen in the time frame you want them to? It's maybe it's just me. But here's a God who's not limited by our time frame. He's the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He created everything. He will not grow tired or weary. We do. We get tired and weary, but our God never gets tired. It's not like he's like, Phew, had an exhausting day keep keeping all the stars on track and watching. No, no. Our God is sovereign and he is unlimited in his resources. And then finally, his understanding no one can fathom. Anyone come up against a problem you can't fix it? It's just me and Simon and a few of us. Now, we all do, don't we? But it says, his understanding, no one can fathom. His wisdom is unlimited, totally beyond human comprehension. There's no situation that he cannot keep track of, including the situation that you and I may be facing right now. And so he's, he's building up, he's encouraging the people of God. And then we kind of come, if you like, to the punch, punchline. He's not a God who keeps his strength to himself. It says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Amen. They will soar. I love the language. On wings like eagles. They catch, if you like, the spiritual thermals and rise up. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Beautiful picture here. Now the word there, renew their strength. The word renew literally means exchange. So it's the idea that we bring our weakness and we receive his strength. We bring our unbelief and we receive his supernatural faith. Amen. We bring our discouragement and we receive his encouragement. We bring our sense of, um, a sense of being just lost and we receive his supernatural hope. It says they will renew, they will literally give over their weakness and receive his strength. Now, this is not just a promise of, were well, you feeling a bit tired? Hope you feel a bit better. This is a promise of supernatural strength. 
This is a promise of being able to do things that you cannot naturally do on your own because we're not just talking here about a bit of physical energy, as important as physical energy is, by the way. We're talking about a supernatural energy that comes from the Spirit of God himself that lifts you up on the inside and causes you to walk and keep on walking and not faint, run and keep on running and not grow weary and even soar as on eagles' wings. Amen. And so, so what's the, what do we have to do? There's only one thing. All we have to do, it says here, is we have to hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. It has the idea of trusting, depending on. Some translations have weight on the Lord. It's about an inner attitude. Just like Annabelle in her injured, weak state, completely trusted in mum's ability and willingness to, ca- to carry her all down the mountain. It's a sense of in, in tough times, we're not going to turn to idols. We're not going to turn to our own resources or other people or our culture. We're not going to um, rely on this. No, we're going to turn to the Lord and we're going to receive his strength that is above any other strength we could possibly receive. This is a stunning promise. So, so how do we wait on the Lord? How do we hope in the Lord? Well, with that inner attitude, I believe we can position ourselves. Can I say, every time I read my Bible, I'm waiting on the Lord. Every time I pray in tongues or pray in the Spirit, I'm waiting on the Lord. Every time we gather on a Sunday like this or we join in our life groups, we're pu- putting ourselves in a place where we can receive fresh strength from the Lord. Amen. This is not a religious duty. This is a spiritual necessity for us to gather at the beginning of the week in order to get, as it were, on wings like eagles to take us into all that God has for us. That's why we fast and pray at regular seasons coming up in a couple of weeks' time because we're saying we're not going to rely on our natural strength and energy. We need supernatural strength so that we're going to come out of those three days in a better place that we entered in. I believe that even today and over those three days, we're going to see a fresh exchange, our weariness for his unlimited strength. Amen. And then the beauty is when we receive him and get filled with him, There's three phrases that I've referred to. The first is, they will walk and will not faint. Some of you are facing tough kind of stuff right now and all you need is the strength to take the next step and take the next step. And I want to tell you, our God, faithful Holy Spirit, wants to come in your life and strengthen you just to walk through the crisis. Others of you, life is busy, life is frantic. You've got all kinds of challenges, but all kinds of opportunities. I don't know what that looks like. And then we need the supernatural strength to run and keep on running and not grow weary. But there's other times where the Lord wants to come to us and he says, I want to teach you how to soar on the thermals of the Spirit. And I don't want anything holding you back. I want you to encounter me in new ways. I want you to rise as on eagle's wings and soar in the presence of my Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for who you are, first and foremost. You are a merciful and a mighty God. And you're here by your Spirit in the name of Jesus to comfort us, and to strengthen us. I'd like to invite you, if you're joining at home, here in the room, maybe we could stand together as an act of worship, as an act of 
surrender. Just think about this for a moment. These two aspects of our God. He is a merciful God and he's a mighty God. Why do you right now just lift up your left hand if you And I'd like you kind of to join with me. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are, as we lift up this hand, you're a covenant-keeping, merciful, faithful, loving, tender God. And we praise you. Even as our hands lifted up, we surrender, as it were, to you. <laughs> we, we, we worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you still love us. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. Thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us, Lord. And we embrace now your comfort in our lives. And then, Lord, we lift up the other hand, symbolizing that you are a mighty God. Come now, Lord, with supernatural power. I pray there will be a divine exchange. We give to you our weakness. We give to you any discouragement or despondency. And we say right now, will you come with your supernatural energy? Lord, will you come right now, Lord, and will you lift us up as on eagles' wings? I pray, Lord, for those who are going through all kinds of stuff. I pray strength to take the next step. I pray for those life is hectic. I pray, Father, you right now, you'll enable them to run and not grow weary. Holy Spirit, will you come? Break off all discouragement. Break off everything that would hold us back. Renew our strength, Lord. Strengthen us by your Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's thank God for His mercy and for His might. And now we're going to worship Him.